I'll bring you greetings from Grace Community Church in Las Cruces, New Mexico, and their pastor, Justin uh, Trevino. We were away visiting family in New Mexico uh, last week, and then uh, came home this week to enjoy being sick for a couple of days. I sleep 30 out of 48 hours, which was nice. Uh, but uh, Justin and his church saying the greetings. It was wonderful to be with a church that we did not know. We just found online uh, in the town where we were going to visit our family uh, and to gather there and be led to confess sin as we have, to be gathered to pray as we have and sing songs that we sing and hear the gospel preached that we preached and uh, see the church stick around for 45 minutes, talking with us, welcoming us, uh, reminding me much of us, uh, and at the same time making me miss us. Uh, so very glad to be with you all this morning. Know for certain that God has made Jesus Lord and Christ and submit yourselves to Him. That's the entire aim of today's sermon. Know for certain that God has made Jesus Lord and Christ and so submit yourselves to Him. Jesus of Nazareth, a man born of a woman, was crucified according to the sovereign plan of God. And this Jesus, who could not be held by the grave, God raised him up. He ascended into heaven. Therefore, we can know for certain that he, that Jesus, is Lord and Christ. It's basically a summary of Peter's sermon in Acts chapter 2. There's a book, I think we should have some in the bookstall outside if you're on the way out and you're interested to read it. It's a little red book, not Mao's little red book, a different little red book called Who is Jesus by Greg Gilbert. At the beginning of his book, Gilbert asks it like this. Maybe you've never given it much thought. Who is Jesus? And in a way, that's entirely understandable. After all, we're talking about a man who was born in the first century into an obscure Jewish carpenter's family. He never held any political office, never ruled any nation, never commanded any armies. He never even met a Roman emperor. Instead, for three and a half years, this man, Jesus, simply taught about ethics and spirituality. He read and explained the Jewish scriptures to Jewish people. And if the eyewitness accounts of his life are to be believed at all, he did some pretty out-of-the-ordinary things. But then again, Jesus also ran bitterly afoul of the authorities of his day. No longer after he started his public ministry, he wound up being executed on a cross by one of Rome's many provincial governors, kind of imperial manager for the people who had real power. Who is he? I mean, who is Jesus? I want to be careful. We're not asking the question, who is Jesus to you? Now, who do you think that Jesus is? History and the Bible are replete with people who have personal answers about who they think Jesus is, personal perspectives, but how we feel about Jesus, or we think about Jesus, is in one sense inconsequential in the same way that you would say how someone feels about you is not conclusive to who you really are. Who is Jesus to himself and to his word according to the Bible and the spirit-empowered witnesses in the Bible? Jesus is Lord and Christ. Lord and Christ, this obscure man from a little village was made Lord that we should submit ourselves to him. We're going to see three movements in Acts chapter 2 today. The first is that Jesus goes from Nazareth to Lord in Peter's sermon. From Nazareth to Lord. 
He makes that movement because he goes from the cross to the right hand of God. He goes from the cross to the right hand of God. And we should, in response, go from disbelief to submission and repentance. We should go from disbelief to submission and repentance. First, we see in Peter's sermon in Acts chapter 2 that Jesus goes from Nazareth to Lord. Peter has just received the Holy Spirit of God. He's preaching about who Jesus is. He's proclaiming the mighty works of God, as we saw a few weeks ago, namely who Jesus is, what, what, what Jesus has done. And see how Peter takes his hearers from Jesus the man to Jesus being Lord. Peter's trying to convince his hearers that this guy, this man, who, who was killed on the cross in Jerusalem some weeks ago, that he's not just another man. He's not just a man. Look at Peter in Acts chapter 2, verse 22. Peter first refers to Jesus in this message, Acts 2, 22, saying, Men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man. Here, Jesus is not a spiritual figure, he is not an idea, or he's not a story. He's a man. He's just a man. He's just a guy from Nazareth. And being from Nazareth was, was not really an honorary term. Nazareth wasn't even a city, or it wasn't even a, a suburb, or part of a, a metro. Nazareth, Nazareth was a village. It produced some wine and some olive oil miles away from the nearest trading route. It wasn't known for making royals had a population of anywhere from 200 to 500 people the first century. It's not even mentioned anywhere in Roman history. It's in the middle of nowhere, and it's where Jesus is from. Remember what Nathaniel was told, or what Nathaniel said when he was told that they'd found the Messiah, they found the Christ. Well, who is it? It's, it's Jesus of Nazareth. What did, what did Nathaniel say back in John? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? That old dump? I mean, it's kind of like, you know, hearing the next president's from East Texas. I'm from East Texas, so I can say things like that. And it was foretold by the prophets that Nazareth would be Jesus' hometown. Matthew chapter 2, verse 23, he went and he lived in a city called Nazareth. So that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. So when Peter throws out this phrase to begin his sermon, this Jesus of Nazareth, he's using a well-known term for Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, referring to that poor carpenter from the village, nothing special except that he was crazy, proclaimed himself to be God, and got himself crucified for it. That man, Peter makes sure to refer to him, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God. Well, first let me ask you this morning, do you have this certainty about Jesus? That he was a man, that he lived in Nazareth, as the prophets predicted. He must be that if he's going to be anything. The historical evidence is compounding that Jesus is an actual man in history. But if he was just those things, if he was just a man from Nazareth, he's really nothing. See where Peter's message ends at the end of his sermon. Three times Peter refers to Jesus of Nazareth as this Jesus. That's kind of unique to Peter in this sermon here. As if Peter understands this Jesus, it's kind of a pejorative term. So someone who does not seem to be so worthwhile, this Jesus. 
He's showing his hearers, this guy that you thought was just from Nazareth, this Jesus, there's something else about him. And see Peter's last sentence in Acts 2.36. The last sentence in his sermon, recorded by Luke, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him, Jesus of Nazareth, this man, this Jesus, has made him both Lord and Christ. This Jesus whom you crucified. Lord and Christ. This Jesus is Lord and Christ. What does it mean for Jesus to be Lord? For Jesus to be Lord means that there is no authority, no power, no office higher than His. Peter and all the Israelites, you see, they were, they were waiting for someone like David to come and save them. Kind of like every four years, we're hoping that the next president will turn things around. They were waiting for someone to come and save them, a son of David, a new king, a, a Messiah. And when Peter quotes Psalm 110, when he quotes Psalm 110, which we've heard all morning, He's explaining that Jesus is the kind of Lord, the kind of one that they never expected. An authority, a power, an office higher than they could have imagined on earth as a son of David. I did not know until Cal mentioned it in our sermon preparation a few weeks ago that Psalm 110 is the, mis, the most quoted Old Testament passage in the New Testament. So I made a little little mark in my mind, never play Bible trivia with Cal. <laughs> and it's just used over and over and over to show that Jesus is no mere man. Jesus is not a king just like David was. He's more. He's the Son of God. That's how David could say what Peter quotes in Acts 2 33 and 34, which Megan read for us. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. See what Peter says about that? David never did that. David never ascended into the heavens to sit next to God. So, so David couldn't have been talking about himself, ultimately. But Jesus did. Jesus did. Jesus rose from the grave, ascended to the heavens to sit at the right hand of God. He was lifted out of the sight of his disciples who saw him. We might say, you know, that, that sounds silly to me. To, to believe that Jesus ascended. But as you read through the whole Bible and you think about the destitution of mankind and the death that mankind faces for our sin, our only hope is that someone would rise from the dead and ascend to sit at the right hand of God as a man become Lord is what we need. Someone who is only a man like us doesn't help us. But over and over, Psalm 110 in Matthew and Mark in Luke and in Hebrews, multiple passages in Hebrews, in 1 Corinthians 15, the Lord said to my Lord, sit here at my right hand. That is used to show that Jesus is not just a man among men. He's God's son. 
He sits to the right hand of the throne of God, and He is Lord. He is Lord. Jesus of Nazareth is Lord. Like we read today in our pastoral prayer today, Jesus is the firstborn in the world. That is the authority. His throne is forever. His years never end. And the capstone of that record of Jesus in Hebrews 1, God never said to anyone else, He's never said to anyone else, sit at my right hand. You have all my authority. You go win all the victory. The angels, I mean even angels, they're just like hired hands. They're servants. They're ministers. Jesus is the Lord over angels even. He's even worshipped by angels. Having resurrected from the grave just before he ascended to heaven, he himself said to his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Think about what Jesus said. All the authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. David Plumer exalts the glory and the lordship of Christ by concluding to a higher degree of rest, rule, joy, favor, power, and majesty Christ could not be raised. And so Peter, empowered by the Spirit, says with all creation, says with angels, this Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, a man, He is Lord. Do you know that is the Bible saying that? What are the disciples about saying about Jesus? That He is Lord like that. Men, fathers, is Jesus Lord? Where did you think that you were? Wives, daughters, women, is Jesus Lord or someone else? CEOs, bosses, officials, police, presidents, seniors, those with gray hair, those with no hair. Who's Lord? Jesus is Lord. Children and students, your parents are an authority in your life. Listen to them. But as right or wrong as they might be, and they will be wrong from time to time, they're not Lord. Jesus is Lord. Lord in Christ. That word Christ simply means the one. There's no other. He's God's anointed one, the expected one, the special one. This title is used of Jesus, it's not his last name, Christ is not his last name, 500 times in the New Testament. Calling Jesus the Christ is like saying, who, who's the one? Who's the, the one who, if you pick up, will be connected to everything that God is doing in the universe? All of God's plans for salvation. Who's, who's the one? It's Him, the Christ. And Jesus of Nazareth, that man who was crucified and raised, He's Lord, and He's the Christ. Now, why is this man Lord Why is this a man have all the authority in heaven and earth? Because Jesus was crucified. He was raised from the grave to the right hand of God. Look there in Acts 2, 32 through 36, what Megan read for us. Look there again. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore highly exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. 
For David did not ascend to the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel know therefore, know for certain, that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now hear what Peter is saying to us. God made him Lord. His basic three-part sermon works like this. Jesus of Nazareth died on the cross. Why? Because, Because he was weak? Because he was out of control? No, he was delivered up according to the plan of God. That's that's his first point about Jesus. God delivered him up. God took him to the cross. Why? To pay for the sins of mankind. We deserve death. Jesus went to die for mankind so that we could be forgiven for our sin. Secondly, it was God's plan all along. David foresaw the death and the resurrection hundreds of years ago in the book of Psalms. The point here is Moses is pointing to Jesus. The law, the sacrifices, the temple was all pointing to Jesus as The one. Everything's pointing to Him. And now lastly, Peter is showing us Jesus raised from the dead. He ascended into heaven after He resurrected. I mean, if you're not a Christian or maybe even a baby Christian, a a new Christian, we should be asking. I mean, once we begin to hear that this is the good news, that Jesus, God's Son, was righteous, that He died on the cross for our sins, that He rose from the grave, that He resurrected, And he lives, Paul says, never to die again. One of our first elementary questions should be is, where is he? He rose from the dead. Where is he? Peter is saying what he witnessed and what it means, according to Psalm 110, that he ascended into heaven, that he now sits at the right hand of God, which means he is Lord. We saw him raised from the dead. We saw him alive. We saw the the holes in his hands and the spear scar in his side. We saw him resurrected. And we saw Him ascend. And that ascension is the final capstone that He went to be. The right hand of God. He is Lord and Christ. God said to Jesus Christ in the ascension, You come sit right here. And have all power and all authority in heaven and earth. David never even got close to that. So Peter is saying, this is always talking about Jesus. Jesus is Lord of heaven and earth. None of us have ascended into heaven. Our feet are firmly planted on the ground. David did not go sit at God's right hand. Christ did. Let me just ask you this week, you've been living like you were on a throne. Children, have you been really protective and serious, maybe even greedy with your things? Grown-ups, Have you been angry because other people haven't been recognizing you as Lord in some form or fashion this week? just seems like no one's getting it, that that you're in charge. No one understands your authority. No one's noticing that you're in charge. Or maybe you're those, there are those to whom you have bowed. You've somehow made someone else Lord in your life. You've given them all of your affection, all of your devotion, all of your attention, Money, gifts, to keep you up at night, 
And you're coming to realize they really can't save you. They really can't even care for you. They, they really can't even know you. They're not even in a position like Jesus is in as the Lord of heaven and earth. Jesus is Lord because he was crucified. He raised from the dead and he now has ascended to sit at the right hand of God. And that is power. That is lordship. God made him Lord. Who's ruling your life this week? Who dominates your thinking? Your parents, your boss, your spouse? Jesus Christ being Lord means that He should dominate all of our decisions. Nothing easy. We have a thousand decisions that we make every day. And we often fail to remember Christ. And sometimes even we remember Christ and we're trying to do the right thing, we do the wrong thing. But is the Lord Jesus Christ at the center of your decision-making process? Run your decisions through. Is Jesus Lord? What does that mean for this part of my life? Because if Jesus of Nazareth, if He's Lord, we should go from disbelief to submission. From disbelief to submitting to Him as Lord. And right off the bat, you might be thinking, don't you mean to say from from disbelief to belief. Isn't that the, the shift that we're supposed to make? From, from disbelief to belief, to the opposite, being belief. But I want to say specifically from disbelief to submission to Jesus as Lord. The, the movement toward belief and the movement toward submission is one movement. It's one faith. It's one profession. You, you can't separate the two. You can, but that would be unsaving. That would not be full allegiance to Jesus Christ. For James says in James chapter 2, even the demons believe and shudder. The, the demons know things about God. They, they could pass Peter's test. They, they know who Jesus is. They, they know the office that he's been given by the Lord. And they're afraid. But they don't submit. And their life doesn't look like a life of faith and righteousness. Peter is leading his hearers not only to know who Jesus is, but to submit to Him, to repent and turn to Him as Lord of their lives. They hear this message. The, the audience here in Acts 2, they hear the message. And Cal's going to come back and preach on this next week. And what are they, what are they realizing? They, they begin to realize Peter's right. If Jesus ascended, this Jesus of Nazareth, then He is Lord, and the same people who were happy to have him killed weeks before, they now realize all along he was the Lord. And so they ask Peter, what do we do? What do we do? Okay, Jesus of Nazareth was crucified according to the, the plan of God, and he has ascended your witnesses. We hear you speaking this to us in tongues. So, so what do we do? And let me just tell you, that is a question that faith asks. What do we do is a question that belief asks. They ask this because they have come to believe. And the first word out of Peter's mouth is repent. Repent. Not just believe, because they've already asked a question that belief asks. What do we do? How do we respond to Jesus being Lord? The only answer is repent. Repent. Paul wrote this to the church in Thessalonica. 
encouraging them, being thankful that they were Christians. And he's expressing thankfulness for how he can tell that they are Christians in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Paul says this in 1 Thessalonians 1, this is what I heard about you guys. This is why I'm encouraged that you are Christians. He says, for they themselves, others outside Thessalonica, they report concerning to us the kind of deception that we, as apostles and others traveling there, that we had among you. In other words, you were glad that we came to Thessalonica and preached the gospel. And here's what Paul heard. We heard how you, you there in Thessalonica, you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. How does Paul know? How is he encouraged that there are Christians in Thessalonica? Not just because he heard that they believed something that they didn't believe before, but that they repented. They turned from their idols. They turned turned their entire lives upside down to follow Jesus Christ as Lord. To turn from disbelief is to turn to submission to Jesus as Lord. You turn from idols. You turn from whatever you were worshiping before, whatever you were giving your money to before, whatever you gave your heart to before, whatever you were giving your time to before, whatever you were giving your weekends before, whatever you were working for in your nine to five, whatever you got married for, whatever you think life is about, Whatever you think brings you happiness. You turn from all those things being about you as Lord and other things and people as Lord to Jesus being Lord in all of those things, recognizing He has died for my sins to make me right with God and He ascended to heaven. He is the Lord. God made Him Lord and Christ. And I believe that and my belief turns into repentance turns into following Him as Lord. That He functions in my life as Lord, not just as Savior. Not just as someone who gets me off the hook from hell, but someone who rules the world, heaven and earth. This is what it means to be a Christian. Not just to mentally assent to some truths. So Paul says it like this in Romans chapter 10, verse 10. If you confess with your mouth that what? That Jesus is Lord. And believe in your heart. So you have Jesus as Lord, and accompanying to the belief in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. That's Paul's summary to the to the Romans saying, if you want to be saved from your sin, you want to be saved from the wrath of God, confess that Jesus is the Lord and believe that God raised Him from the dead and you will be saved from paying for your own sins. But that is confessing that Jesus is Lord. Not only that He is Savior. Friends, if Jesus raised from the dead, He's not only a great man, He's not just a good teacher, He's Lord of heaven and earth. The confession that saves us, that that binds us to Christ for forgiveness of sins is, Lord, forgive me. 
I'll just think through a few meditations, a few implications, what this might look like in our life. So, so trying to take these movements of Jesus of Nazareth to Lord and His movement from the cross to resurrection to the ascension being what makes Him Lord, and then our movement from disbelief to submission, let's just try to let that land on our hearts a little bit. Take it home with us and apply it to some of the things that we do. I mean, there's, there's just an infinite number of implications for us. When, when Jesus is Lord, it means everything changes. It means that there's not, if He's Lord of heaven and earth, then there's not a part of our lives where we go, well, Jesus is Lord of heaven and earth, but um, just keep Him out of my garage. I mean, just don't let Him in there. Jesus doesn't have anything to do with my bedroom. You know, Jesus is he's Lord, but really my computer and what I do there, that's just, that's just me. My money, my, that's mine. I mean, Jesus is Lord, I know He reigns and all, but my money is my money. I want us to let these things kind of sit. Sit at home. What, what does it look like for Jesus to be Lord? Just a few things, a few meditations for us. Firstly, I would encourage you to think about death and be thankful for the Lordship of Jesus Christ over death. Think about death. And be thankful for the Lordship of Jesus Christ over death. How do you feel about death? You thought about death recently? Maybe you've been confronted with death, an accident of your own, loss of some family member, it's actually really good to think about death. Ecclesiastes 7.2, a book that's wrestling with the meaning of life, says it's better to go into the house of mourning than to go into the house of feasting. To this end, all of mankind. This is the end of all mankind, death that is, and the living will lay it to heart. We'll think about death. I'm reading a biography right now on President Grover Cleveland. Before he was president, he was... Sheriff in Buffalo, New York, from 1871 to 1873. One of the things that Grover Cleveland in particular hated was the days proceeding up to an execution, which he had two of while he was sheriff. Even if he felt like those executions were deserved and just in their judicial system. During those days, he could think of little else. He'd lose sleep, he'd get ill. On at least one occasion, he asked doctors to walk him through all the possibilities of what could go wrong, being very nervous about the event. He despised death being a public spectacle. He was also intent that there would be no morbid voyeurism on his watch. At both executions that he oversaw as sheriff, Cleveland barred the general public from attending. He knew that on record... One hanging in the year 1825 had drawn a crowd of about 15,000 people, even while the city of Buffalo only had about 5,000 people who lived in the city. He, at that time, during his executions that he was overseeing, employed a team of carpenters to build a frame around the jail yard. Then he draped the whole edifice with black canvas so that the especially uh, enterprising couldn't get a view, even from the nearby rooftop. He then positioned himself during the execution so that he was not looking at the accused when they made their final ascent into the abyss. And I was reading this week, there's a long section about this, about him. 
I just thought, you know, I just don't know that we are as sober about death as we ought to be. We're distracted by it, and when we are sobered by it, I think we, we tend as a culture to want to be drunken by something so that we don't have to think too much about it. Interestingly, one of the ways that we're, we're, we're numb to death in our culture, I think, is that we're so entertained by it, that it's actually so prevalent. We don't just shove it aside. We see it all the time. I saw one statistic, and I think these numbers have to be probably low. But one statistic that's tracking such things said that in 1980, there were 90 on-screen deaths in movies. 216, 260, excuse me, in the year 2017. I think it's got to be low. I mean, it's just some of the movies we've seen in 2017. Probably had 260 in each of them. We die, we quote-unquote die in video games. I died. What happened? I died in this, in this game today. We ought to be squeamish to some degree about death. It's inevitable. It's final. It ought to be sobering. But the heart of being a Christian is the certainty that God has made Jesus of Nazareth Lord and Christ because he was crucified for the penalty of our sins and that he raised from the dead. That death is, as Paul quotes in 1 Corinthians 15, the last enemy to be conquered. It is an enemy to be conquered. This both tells us what kind of Lord Jesus is and what kind of salvation that we have in him. Our great hope is thankfulness that though we die yet shall we live by our faith in Him. Isaiah prophesied about Jesus like this. He says, He, the coming one, He will swallow up death forever. Just think about what the promise is about Jesus dying on the cross, raising from the dead, and that He was made Lord because He overcame death as God's Son. You see this show up in places throughout the book of Acts, this ongoing hope of the risen Lord, the, the living Lord, who had died. We go to Acts chapter 7, at the very end of Acts 7, where Stephen has been preaching the gospel. And at the end of Acts 7, it says, they cast him out of the city, and they stoned him. And the witnesses lay down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, what did Stephen say? As they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord, Jesus, receive my spirit. Those who were dying for even their faith had hope that, just, that Jesus as the Lord, that this living Lord who had been crucified for their sin could receive them into his eternal kingdom. Think about death and be thankful and hopeful that our Lord has risen for the dead, having paid for our sins. Let me encourage you also to think about repenting of pride. Think about repenting from pride. And rest from the thought that you are the Lord. I mean, just take some rest from that. You are not the Lord. You're not the Lord. You're not the Lord of your life. You're not the Lord of existence. You're not the Lord of your family. You might, you might be a father. You might be a mother. You might be a grandfather, a grandmother in your family and have roles of authority and responsibility and but you're not the Lord you might have two, three, five, a hundred, a thousand people who work underneath you in your job 
You're not the Lord. To believe so, to think that way, to, to have your, your thoughts never run past your own authority in the world, is to kind of live like you're the Lord. That's an anxiety-ridden life. It just won't take very long before you start bumping in to the truth and the frustration. I mean, really, it just takes one employee, if you really think. It just takes one employee to help prove you ain't Lord. One child, parent, to learn I'm not Lord. We, we, could, we could just live in this fantasy, though. Jesus is Lord. Make sure that today you leave moving from disbelief to submission, that Jesus is the Lord. Remember your place is to obey Him and His commands. Remember that this Lord died for your sins. When you repent and come back from idolizing yourself as kind of too puffed up and too big, what you, don't, what you find is not a Lord standing there with His arms crossed saying, where have you been the whole time? You find the Lord saying, I died for your sins. I rose from the grave to save you. So follow me in my commands. And if you want to kill pride in your life, one of the things that you can do is remember that the Lord Jesus Christ is gracious to save you from your sin. He's not the kind of proud, arrogant like you are and like we are, like I am in my sinful pride. He's the kind of Lord that so graciously would go to the cross to save you and win you and redeem you from your sin. And welcome you back from the pride of thinking you're Lord. <laughs> what a wonderful irony. The grace of the Lord is really that last word for the apostles over and over. They put the word grace and they put the, Lord, the word Lord together over and over. It's the last thing Paul wants his hearers to think about in almost all of his letters. Like Philippians 4.23, the last thing Paul says is the grace of the Lord, Jesus Christ, be with your spirit. At the end of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. 2 Timothy 4, the Lord be with your spirit, grace be with you. You are not the Lord, but you do have a very gracious Lord. So it is the combination of His power and His majesty and His exaltation and His gracious love for us to be Lord and yet have died on the cross for our sins that humbles us to love loving Him as Lord. For in fact, the very end of the Bible, the very last words of the entire Bible are this, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. Repent from pride. Remember, submit, rest in Jesus being the Lord. Learn and follow Jesus' commands. Learn and follow Jesus' commands. The last thing that Jesus says in the book of Matthew before he ascended into heaven is make disciples and teach them to obey all that I have commanded you. Teach them to obey all that I have commanded you. I wonder, if you sit down this afternoon, if you would just name ten commands that Jesus has for you. Just take a pencil and paper, turn your computer off, turn your commentaries off, 
Just see if you can list 10 commands that Jesus has for you. How long is that list? Maybe you go to your life group this week and maybe you would just bring your list. Put your list of 10 things that Jesus has commanded you to do. And then just discuss, how's that going? How are we doing? Is this this hard? Anyone else having a hard time? Did anyone else even remember some of these commands recently? I mean, this is, what, this is what it means for Jesus to be Lord. We follow His commands. All authority in your heaven and earth has been given to Him. What it means to be a disciple and to be discipled is to be taught the commands of Christ. To come under His Lordship and obey Him. Jesus' commands continue through the apostles in the New Testament. I mean, everything that Paul says is a command of the Lord Jesus Christ as an apostle. Everything John says, everything Peter says is, is from Jesus Christ. And be careful, when you, when you study the Bible, not everything Jesus ever commands to someone in a context is directly to you. You know, Jesus commands the disciples in Matthew to go from village to village casting out demons. Is that a command directly to you? Well, be careful when you're studying your Bible to see if that's exactly directed to you. But see, Jesus' commands flow through the New Testament, through the epistles, to the churches, to us about obeying and following Jesus Christ. Friends, this is a reason that we should be in discipleship. Because Jesus is Lord. This is a reason that, that we should be walking with other Christians in, in personal fellowship, saying, help me follow Jesus' commands. Teach me Jesus' commands. Let's, let's keep looking at Scripture every single week and just see what it means to follow Jesus as Lord, to trust Him and enjoy His Lordship and His provision and His salvation together. Maybe in your discipleship this week, maybe in your private devotion, you just take some inventory of your life and read through the book of Acts. Just read through the whole book of Acts. As you read through the book of Acts, you'll find at least these seven ways that you can see the lordship of Jesus Christ in the church. At least these quick things. Fear of men. Fear of man. Look through the book of Acts and find those who are following the lordship of Jesus Christ, they're not afraid of men. As you read through the book of Acts, look for how the church uses its money. One of the ways you'll find the lordship of Jesus expressed is how the church uses its money. Another way you'll find the lordship of Jesus expressed through the book of Acts is their idea of comfort in the church. Do they just live for comfort? Or are they willing to suffer even if you have to suffer for Jesus being lord? You'll find generosity Look through the book of Acts and see that generosity is an aspect of Jesus being Lord. Another aspect through the book of Acts of Jesus being Lord is the church is gracious to their enemies. The church is gracious to their enemies. As you read through the book of Acts, you'll find fellowship. Jesus is Lord. Where, where Jesus is Lord of a people, there's, there's fellowship. There's love for one another. There's care for one another. And you'll see the mission of Jesus Christ. The mission of you can read through Acts and just see does, does how lordship shows up in the narrative of Acts. I mean, just take some inventory. Does lordship look like that for me? In my money, in my fellowship, in my generosity, in my, my enemies, and the mission itself. I want to close today with Psalm chapter 110. Go with me in your Bibles to Psalm 110 for our last meditation on what it means for Jesus to be Lord. We'll read all of Psalm 110.
We read it in part all morning. For our last thought about what it means for Jesus to be Lord, rest this Sabbath day and every day until you die and go to be with the Lord, knowing that Jesus is Lord and God will put every enemy of himself and the kingdom of Christ under Jesus' feet as a footstool. Meaning God's going to bring justice to the world. Fully. To every nation. Every king. Every spouse. And every pastor. And every sister. And every boss. And every neighbor who lets their plants grow on the sidewalk. Psalm 110. The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And keep reading. The Lord sends forth from Zion... Your mighty scepter, rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments from the womb of the morning. The dew of your youth will be yours. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. That's Jesus at the right hand of the Father. And he will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. Much like David had fought kings on earth, Jesus will fight and win every moral, spiritual, visible, invisible victory. Even death itself, he'll shatter. Shatter kings in the day of his wrath. And he will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. He will drink from the brook by the way. Therefore, he will lift up his head. He'll be victorious in the end. Friends, if Jesus has risen from the grave and conquered even death itself, maybe it would be helpful for you. You're thinking that the world is in disarray. Injustice is winning everywhere. Nothing is right in the world. Might you just go read the last four chapters of the book of Revelation and see Jesus is at the right hand of God. He is Lord, and He will execute judgment as the one who has authority over heaven and earth. You can go back to work this week, and no matter what happens with your boss, no matter what happens with your spouse at home, no matter what injustice comes to you, you get a speeding ticket that you think you didn't deserve, you get fired, you get laid off, you think it should have been someone else, you get in a fight with your spouse, you think they're wrong, Jesus is Lord. Vengeance is His. He will repay. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Uh, We've come from so many places and struggles and difficulties, joys, highs, lows. And you know, Father, you know us better than we can know each other, better than we can really even know ourselves. We pray that you would help this word go with us this week. That Jesus is Lord, that we are not, that he is. He died for our sins. He raised from the grave. He ascended to heaven. He sits right now at your right hand. And one day he will execute justice and righteousness in the whole earth. Would you help us by your Spirit, go from disbelief today to submission 
that Jesus is Lord. Acknowledge that he has defeated death. He has paid for our sins. He does live. And help us walk in full obedience this week. Help us follow the commands of Jesus Christ. Acknowledging him as Lord. For his glory and for, for our own joy. And help us just trust that Jesus is good Lord. That he will do what is right. When the time is right, for your glory and for our joy, that he will do what is just. He will settle every score, just as he did on the cross for our sin. Thank you, Father, that you've given us a gracious Lord in Jesus Christ who will receive us from repentance, receive us in our forgiveness of sin, give us forgiveness of sins, even though we have rebelled and opposed and made ourselves Lord. Thank you for grace that you would help us rest today. And that our obedience in Jesus to Jesus this week would come from a place of rest and love and devotion that Jesus is both Lord and Christ. Help us this way, God. For your glory and for our joy, in Jesus' name, amen.